Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the east end of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. We are recording, and we're actually on the cusp of, like, heading into 4th of July. How did that happen, y'all? I know. Right? It happens. It goes quick. I know. I just feel like I'm, like, I don't know. Time marches on. It does, really quickly, really quickly. But, you know, the good news about summer on the horizon is it's also time for the wine drinking season. So we're going to talk wine today. We thought this would be a fun thing to do. You know, people love the summer wine out here, you know, and when we get visitors, I don't know about you guys, but we always try to get a bottle of local wine in our fridge or on our counter. Just something about it. You know, we love our California wines and our French wines, but when it comes to entertaining, you got to give them a a bottle of local wine, right? Mm -hmm. Right. 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 So we have a lovely lineup here today. So that was Bill Sutton at the top of the podcast there. Hey, Bill. Hey, Yvette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. Joe Shaw's here again. Hiya, Joe. Hey, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group. I'm Annette Hinkle. I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And also with us is Michelle Trowering, who's joining us today. Hiya, Michelle. Hi, Annette. I'm Michelle Trowering. I'm the features editor of the Express News Group. Awesome. So Michelle and I are going to probably have to talk a lot about in this podcast because Michelle actually just wrote a large story about the wine industry on the East End of Long Island that's going to be coming out in our our, um, June 22nd magazine. Hey, I, re- I edited it too. I second edited it. Oh, I good. It was, and you can weigh in too. I thought, was, I thought it was just terrific. It really did. I thought it was Thanks, a, just a really good, um, it's such a good story. I mean, you know, the, just the tale of it. And um, I just, I love the, the specificity of the fact that this region has so many things going for it that have to be good in order for the wine to be good. And it just, some people took a chance on it. I think it's just great. And I did a story as well in the regular paper in the art section where I talked to two of the local winemakers, Roman Roth from Woofer Estate Vineyard and Kareem Masood, who is the winemaker up at Pominock. And I believe, Michelle, you probably talked to both of those guys as well for your story. The, the premise is on the 22nd of June, the Express News Group is hosting um, an event called Sips of Summer at the American Hotel. And it's from 1 to 4 p.m. And the idea is it's it's just a sort of a, a looking back at 50 years of wine on the East End, because it was about 50 years ago that the first brave people came down to say that we're going to give a shot growing grapevines on Long Island. Um, so, Michelle, do you want to, with that, jump in and talk about what you learned in exploring the story of half a century of wine on the yeah, East Yeah, sure, Nut. Um, I got to tell you, I learned everything uh, because <laughs> I didn't know anything about Long Island wine. Um, and, you know, 50 years sounds like a long time, but when you think about it in the grand scheme of winemaking, we're a very young region. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, even just talking to some of my friends and family about the story that I was working on, I'd say, hey, you know, I'm like working on this magazine story about Long Island wine. And they'd say, oh, I didn't know Long Island had a wine region. I didn't know that that was a thing. 
That's sad. Well, it's not <laughs> super, super sad because we are just getting started, which is kind of yeah. the beauty of this story, in my opinion. Yes. Um, yeah. So I got to speak with Louisa Hargrave, um, who was one of the pioneers of the wine industry um, on Long Island, um, her and her now ex-husband, Alex. Louisa um, was our, is our former wine columnist. And so I'd worked with her, but I'd never really gotten to hear her story. And I was like a little starstruck talking to her. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> she is fabulous. And she just took a chance out here. Yeah, they were from upstate New York, if I remember correctly. And I think that's interesting. And Michelle, you're from like that region. So maybe, you know, but I'm pretty sure that upstate, they only ever really tried to grow like, um, like the kind of grapes that are native to the US, which are not wine grapes, right? Correct. And that's the Finger Lakes region. So I'm on the other side of upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, the Finger Lakes are known for that. And that's exactly what Louisa didn't want to Mm -hmm. do. She had in mind that she wanted those French grapes. And so she was seeking out a region that mimicked that area of Europe. And amazingly, she found it here. Yeah. It's it's the the soil here that's similar, right? It's the terroir. Their terroir. Michelle and I were going to practice saying this word off air. I love that. That's one of my favorite words. I will not be saying it on air. Yeah, I just <laughs> not going to embarrass myself that way. <laughs> but one of the things that one of the things that Kareem told me, which I had never thought about, was that you know in in Europe you have a lot of grape growing districts that are on slopes, and I never really thought about what the importance was of it. But he's like, well, you know, vines don't like wet feet, and I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I never heard that before. So the idea being that if they plant vines on a slope, the water naturally runs down, so it doesn't the water the wine grapes don't sit in water at their feet. But on Long Island, we don't really have big slopes, but what we do have is a similar style of um, soil that they have in Bordeaux which is gravelly soil. So meaning that the water doesn't sit there either. So for that reason, from what I understand, that's why we're able to grow wine successfully in an area that's not sloped. Exactly. It's natural drainage. Our soil, you know, provides that. And so that we don't have to be on a slope. Right. Exactly. And, and Bordeaux is very similar. So a lot of the grapes that they have tried on the North Fork and where Kareem has tried in his family's vineyard, um, have been of those Bordeaux styles because it's a maritime culture. You know, they're near the ocean. We just have a very similar amount of sun, amount of rain, amount of sea breeze and that. And that seems to be kind of what the sweet spot's been. But I think the other surprise, though, from what and maybe, Michelle, you talked about this with um, the people you spoke with, is that it's not just one type of grape that does well here either you know like you have your upstate Rieslings and you might have your New Zealand Sauvignon Blancs and that's pretty much all they do or your you know Napa Valley Cabernets but um, Kareem was saying like here you can do everything and and it's kind of like people still don't really believe that Um, but it's not really a region that's known for one kind of wine. And for that reason, it's um, been difficult to describe what the character of Long Island wine is. Some critics say that the region has not found its character yet, but the people I talked to said, yeah, we kind of have. And it's sort of this mix of, even though we're in the new world of wine, it's similar to old world wine because we're using the similar grapes and it is that similar climate. So I thought that that was really interesting. 
Now, I've never been quite sure, but I did get the sense that the North Fork has a slightly gr better growing conditions than we do down here on the South Fork. Is that right? Right. So I think, I mean, it is an astonishing percentage, but it's something like 95-ish percent of all wine on Long Island is grown on the North Fork. Um, and the reason for that is, you know, if you notice, especially during the summers um, in the mornings on the South Fork, we kind of have this fog and that's pretty unique to this area. Whereas on the North Fork, that apparently doesn't really happen. So there's more humidity on the South Fork and it also creates um, frost pockets during the growing season. So, um, you know, Bridgehampton Winery, which Lyle Greenfield ran um, in the beginning of all of this, um, he was warned against buying and planting on the plot of land that he chose. Um, it was, yeah, because, you know, it was just this. It was Richard Hendrickson who warned him, I think, oh, right? Exactly. The, it the, was. The longtime weather expert, the weather observer in Bridgehampton. I would listen. I would I mean, listen to you. Yeah, Richard would Yeah. Know. So it was a weird pocket. Is that what they're saying? It was like a strange weather pattern right there on that little stretch. Yes, exactly. And so Richard lived right nearby. Yeah. And so he had been tracking this weather and said, you know, man, like, I really don't think that you should be planting there. And Lyle, you know, was kind of an ad sales guy. He was a copywriter from New York. And he was like, you know, I'm going to take my chances. Like, thanks, Rich, but I'm going to, you know, forge ahead. And just for the record, today, the Bridgehampton Winery is the South Fork Natural History Museum, just to let you know right. how that winery worked out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I think it's fascinating that the microclimates are that specific that the north fork is mm -hmm. is wonderful but it's a lot tougher on the side there are some yeah. wineries that make a go of it growing grapes on the south fork though. yeah yeah uh, channing daughters of course being one of them and uh, Wolfer, uh duck duck well they don't i don't know if they're really growing at duck walk oh that's right duck walk i think does grow most of their grapes on the north on the north fork wolfer wolfer um of course is the big one um and i think wolfer was the first um long island winery to produce a bottle that sold for over a hundred dollars Mm -hmm. um which right. was a big big deal right right but the thing that i don't know if you spoke about this with the other people you spoke with but um i think both roman and kareem had said that um for a while i think they they assumed that the long island wine vernacular was going to be all about merlot um because that was what was you know everybody was merlot 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 and then the movie sideways came out which basically slams merlot and it sort of derailed their whole effort to make long island the merlot district so sadly <laughs> kind of ruined the ruined the rep i don't know womp 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 i wonder if that's if if that's a really interesting point that the region has has had so many different types of wine but then you don't really mm -hmm. get a uh you don't get a reputation right. for one specific thing it, it can probably be a lot harder to to penetrate the 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 uh uh, what am I trying to say? The psyche. Yeah, to get people to get people to think when you think Long Island wines, I think X. If it's just I think all different types of varieties or varietals, which I learned a difference by the way, Michelle, as I was editing. I'm not sure I know the difference. Your story. Yeah. Um, I you used the term varieties of grapes, and I thought, hmm, wonder if it's varietals of grapes. And no, it turns out varietals is the word that you use when you're talking about how did that work now it was a kind of wine a varietal i think only uses one type of grape uh, 
And so it was, no, it's variety. You, you were right. Wonderful. <laughs> you should have edited my story then, Joe, because I'm sure I did not use that properly. I've taken this on a side light, which is fun with editing. Our, our yeah. next Joe, episode of Word um, Nerd, Joe goes into different <laughs> varieties. <laughs> Turns out varieties was the right word, Michelle, so well done. Gold, gold star gold star for you oh thank you so much <laughs> thanks that was a pure accident <laughs> anyway well but one of the things that that's so interesting because like i think yeah the fact that there is no one varietal or variety that we're known for out here makes people suspicious when you know you have all of these grapes that i don't know i think it, it it's like it doesn't that's part of the suspicion what well, this grape this grape growing region hasn't been here that long how can they do everything you know have everything like that you know how can it be so all encompassing so you know one of the things that, that roman roth talked about which i thought was interesting is he would love to see a more concerted like marketing effort to really promote the the long island wine industry as a whole he's like you know why don't we you know we need like a french laundry restaurant out here you know like some of these really and and like have a, a off season it's he's like yeah we're all really crazy in the summer but what about like in the middle of winter why can't we have like a french laundry style restaurant and people are coming here for wine tourism and we have these chefs that are really you know keyed into it and that the whole the whole idea of marketing the region is a is a wine destination and maybe even wine tourism which it doesn't really really have yet right i mean we're not well, it does on the north fork i would i would argue that i mean there's there's a huge a huge wine tourist industry i think people coming um at least out from from the city um on weekends and stuff and the wineries all have events on on the weekends accounting for in in addition to to the pumpkins in the fall and you know, accounting for the huge traffic on on the North Fork. I mean, it's. I think I, he's I, talking more like destin, not so much day trippers. I think his whole thing is like real destination, like when people go out to Napa Valley, you know, and, oh, okay. and you hit these four star restaurants, and you're doing like the wine train, and you're doing, you know, what I mean. Like we do get the day trippers out here, but I think he's looking at it as a higher, maybe farther. Um, a farther tourism experience. What, what was that movie? Sideways. Yes, was exactly. That? That's yeah. the movie. That's the one we were talking about that killed the Merlot. Right. Uh, <laughs> but um, but, you know, but the other thing is that, that a lot of our a lot of our wine industry and our restaurants shut down in the winter. And I think that's his other point. It's like, yeah, all of the vi the, vineyard, the vineyards are packed in the summer. That's not what he's talking more, I think, about off season and really uh, making it a, a more like a connoisseur experience. Like you're not doing the pumpkin picking and you're not doing the massive vineyard events and all that. But really a little I think more of a. Uh, off-season kind of to, to show showcase the wines more in, in, in a different setting curated not just you know tasting and jumping from vineyard to vineyard but a, a, right. a, a deeper experience i would say is what huh. he's envisioning i don't know i mean because roman's gone you know he's taken groups over to um, europe and done like wine cruises on like the rhone river you know things like that where it's really curated Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books. Independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books, collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. 
They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. I mean, pretty much across the board, everyone I talked to, and Lyle really spoke to this too, like being involved um, in advertising, like before talking about branding, Wolfer is a just behemoth. I mean, it's incredible what they've done, like summer in a bottle all by itself, like the dry rosé that they introduced to the East End, they were the first. And like, and that was a huge gamble as well. No one had done that before. And now look at it, you know, I almost feel like in some ways the Hamptons, quote unquote, is kind of synonymous with rosé during the summer. It's so funny you mentioned that because when Adam and I first came out here in the mid 90s, we stumbled upon what was then called Sag Pond Vineyard. And that was mm-hmm. the Woofer Vineyard, but it was called Sag Pond. And it was this like old barn and you walked in and there were fruit flies everywhere. And they gave us like a, a good little glass of weird wine. And yeah, it was like, wow, what is this? And it was like, you know, they were just starting and it was, um, it was a little bit like, oh, okay, well, this is a vineyard, I guess, on the East End. But I think from what Roman said, you know, once that first bottle of the wine that they made sold for over a hundred dollars, and I think it got into like La Bernadette or something like that, you know, one of the nice restaurants, that's when. Christian Wolfer, the late Christian Wolfer said, that's it. You know, let's change the name. Let's build a real winery here. And that was when they put all the effort into building that beautiful building that they have now. And they started calling it Wolfer Estate Vineyard instead of Sag Pond. And they really upped their game, but they recognized early on that that's what they needed to do to really capitalize on the success that they were having. Hmm. New York State is really pushing hard too for wineries and local distilleries and local breweries uh to to be able to do better business it's and and i know that the uh the wineries they they want to try and tie tourism more to the wineries and the distilleries Mm so um i think this region it's funny because this region got a got a good foothold i think in the industry and and we're talking about this is 50 years right michelle is that 50 years that's essentially the the point is that we're really in the 50th year of the wineries um, since they since the the very earliest days, um, I think they got the foundation laid uh, really well, and there's a, there's an opportunity for them all to really take a step up now. I think right. and, uh, they they do have more of a reputation than they ever did before, and as Bill pointed out, I think that the I think there is a there is a whole wine tourism thing, uh, sort of a nascent industry out here that really has a lot of growth potential too. And they're still putting in wineries on, on the North Fork. There's yeah. new ones going in all the time. Wasn't there also a change in the distillery law? I remember that a few years ago, writing about that, where you know it used to be that you couldn't distill spirits unless you were like a mega producer. And then New York State came up with the distillery law that's allowed like farm distillers. So that's also helped expand right. the industry where you can now have, um, right. you know, um, you have um, Sagaponic Distillery making um making spirits there that was not something i don't think that they could have done mm-hmm. like you know a number of years ago that distilling license became available mm-hmm. right in the beer makers it's interesting too um that now a lot of the wineries that have been around since early days are really entering this like second generation of winemakers and that are mm-hmm. they're just building on who's come before them and in the early days in um the long island region um, there was so much camaraderie and teamwork 
because no one knew what they were doing. So they would swap a lot of information and intel and they would get together, and, you know, and I think that, um, you know, it's a unique area because a lot of the wineries are right on top of each other. You know, it's like, it's very different from other wine regions around the world. And there's not much more expansion that can really happen. Like this is kind of it. Kind of it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're also getting really creative about using like, you know, getting away from using um, chemicals on the vineyards. And I know Cream spoke a lot about like trying to um, put in place a lot of very sustainable methods for farming. And he was even talking about this new tractor technology that like, like hits the vines with UV to yeah. keep the, uh, the, the mold and the mildew and the mildew from growing on the vines, which is um kind of cool, you know, and a lot of them, I know that they plant more, they're more into planting, you know, like native species and let the grasses grow that encourage the beneficial insects and all that kind of thing. Some of the winemakers did talk about their concerns about climate change and global warming and the ways that they're going to have to start thinking about that now to tackle it in the future. And those tractors are one of the ways for sure, as you know, moisture increases, humidity increases, all that mildew is going to increase too. I was so. thinking one of the one of the factors that made uh, the vineyards uh, a growth uh, industry out here has to do with the fact that that industry sort of coincided with the time when there was a lot of land preservation and land preservation for mm -hmm. agricultural purposes. So you had things, not just the CPF, but you had the, uh, which is the community preservation fund, which of course is the towns buying and preserving farmland and agricultural land. But before that Suffolk County was, was buying land uh, and preserving this farmland. And I'm gonna guess that, I don't know how much of the vineyard land is CPF land or preserved land, but I'm sure it played a role, at least in some of the, the wineries, in making it a little more economically viable to get started and, and to maintain uh, over the years. I think it was another factor that made it, along with all of the terroir, uh, it, it was another factor that, uh, that made it possible. Well, and wine is certainly more profitable than potatoes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah, that was something that I know, you know, when we first came out here, it was still all potatoes. And it was just like, oh, how are, you know, you could tell that, how are these farmers going to survive? And you know, they were, they were, yeah. And they weren't. And then, you know, but it was just, I don't know, kind of amazing to watch not only the advent of the vineyards, but also the more boutique farmers that we see now, you know, where instead of just growing potatoes, you've got these like young farmers who are um, growing all sorts of crops. And because we happen to live in a very upscale area, they can get away with charging a fairly you know, nice price for a head of lettuce that will help them survive. You know, you couldn't get away with this in the Midwest where I'm from, you know, um, but it just sort of, I don't know, the, the, the whole um, economics kind of worked out as far as having this very um, well-heeled local clientele that could buy your product. And I think the same, I guess, true with the wine as well. I mean, Wolfer, if you, this pack, you can't go, you can't show up anymore and just get a bottle of wine in the barn and go sit on the back lawn. You know, you have to like reserve a, a table at Wolfer to do a tasting, you know, several weeks out now. So very popular. I don't know anything about it, but I'm also guessing that winemaking is a lot riskier than potato growing. Um, potatoes, certainly can go bad in the field too, but I think that happens a lot less and it's a lot less harmful than, I mean, you were talking 
Um, I've always been fascinated by the the idea of it was a really good year for that particular type of wine. And that means all the conditions were such that it produced really good. But I have no idea what that means. I, I think it has to do with really hot at certain points and really dry at certain points. Mm -hmm. Not too much rain. Yeah, like Roman Roman Roth said the first summer that he was out here, it was 92. It's like the worst summer ever that he was trying to make wine out here. It's yeah. like 13 rainy weekends, which is I guess not what you want once. So I think they I think like a like a lot of sun. And there's also like a weird thing, like you want to let leave the grapes on as long as possible to get as ripe and full as possible. But the longer you leave them, the more you risk getting hit by an early frost or a nor'easter or a bad hurricane that then could destroy your entire crop for the year. So there's that whole game of like, when do you pick? That's what I mean. It seems very, you're on a knife's edge all the time in that industry, it seems like. Um, that actually, that frost just happened in the Finger Lakes and pretty much everyone I spoke to referenced that and said, you know, this was devastating like some vineyards, their entire crop was wiped out. That's, you know, I can't even imagine what that means, you know, for, for these vineyards. And I'm talking to Louisa about it. And she says, well, we do that 50 years ago. Yeah. That's why we didn't plant grapes there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, and so she, mm. she empathizes, you know, and at the same time, she did the research. Yeah. I mean, it's also a weird thing. I think, you know, apples and grapes both have the same issue. You think about it, you're planting basically a tree, you know, and you're picking things off of that every year. It's not like the potatoes where you plant them, you dig them up, and then it's an empty field and you start all over. So I think crops like apples and, and grapes are particularly um, stressful because you're you're relying on the same basic plant year after year after year, you know. They're persnickety. And if you lose one, you can't just replace it than that. You know, it's going to take a while for it to, you know, get to the situation where it can produce what the other one was producing, you know. So I just think that's kind of an interesting, a different dynamic, the whole idea of having a tree as opposed to just a something you pick out of the ground and start all yeah, over. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, there's certainly, you know, um, two elements to it. It's the farming and then it's the and it's the, the, the winemaking that uh, people may not consider all the time. This is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27East.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. I wish I was an onophile. I wish I liked wine more than I do. I, I don't, I've never been a big wine. And I think I feel like wine is one of those things where when you really know wine, you enjoy it on another level and and i think it's i think people who really take the time mm -hmm. and put the put the work in to get to know uh wines i think you can really get a lot back out of that i just never have and i've never been that big of a fan of, of wine so uh, i feel like i'm really missing out though because i i am really 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 uh uh what's the word uh Jealous. I was going to say pretentious, but I'm that really wasn't what we were looking for. No, 
that. Well, yeah, I'm That's certainly that. But uh, I'm really jealous of people who enjoy wine and know wine and, and can can tell me, you know, the different things about wine. I, I'm, I'm just, I wish I were that person. Well, we'll have to take you on a scotch tasting. And there's also still time. That as well. Yeah, that's about the... There's also still... Yeah. Well, why don't you come to the event on the 22nd at the American Hotel? There'd be plenty of tasting there. That's where they're going to be tasting all sorts of wines to be tasted. And maybe, maybe you can sneak down into the, the, the wine cellar at the American Hotel, where I've heard there's some very legendary bottles that are stored down there, including a lot of Long Island wines, apparently. So there are. Have you been down there? <laughs> I have not, um, but I had Ted describe, Ted Conklin, the owner of American Hotel, I had him describe to me in great detail um, what his cellar was like. He has wow. 40,000 bottles of wine. There's a oh, future wow. magazine story, huh? If it'll, if it'll let us in. I've been oh. wanting to do that one for a long time. I've never gotten down into the cellar. I'm going to have to see if that if I can make that happen. Dana got down there to take photos. If right? you want, I can distract she him did? and, and <laughs> you can get down there. <laughs> yes. Shh, don't tell him the plan. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. But that says something, you know, like, I mean, well, also, and the other thing that, um, I think was it Roman who had mentioned that I that in um, maybe the was it in the nineties that Ted it was Ted who kind of came up with the idea of wine ratings for Long Island wines as well that was a brand new thing and I think that was a Ted invention um, and you know kind of along the same lines as, as the Romans interested in and really elevating the region by um, by coming up with a I mean you know scoring wines is really you know a dicey proposition but it definitely would garner you some publicity I'm thinking right it's interesting too in that you yeah. said that the region doesn't really have uh, like a French laundry type of a restaurant. We do have some wonderful restaurants, obviously, but it would be really interesting if someone were, were willing to, to start sort of a, a restaurant at that level and, and have visiting chefs yeah. and, and try and connect that up with the wine uh -huh. industry that. Uh, Maybe make it, make it more of like a package deal, you know, where people, you know, fly in you know, for a week and it could be in November, you know, that's, I think that the thing is you could do it in a time of year when everybody's got the time to really focus on a real curated experience like that. I mean, I think that's what, if I understand Roman's um, interest in, in the way that I think I did it, that's what he was talking about is, is really making it an all encompassing experience. Like maybe it's a package deal that, you know, somebody from Paris flies over on a package deal and does everything, you know, stay at this hotel and eat at this restaurant yeah. and, you know, almost like a tour, like one would do when you're traveling abroad. Michelle, if you had to, to judge, where is the Long Island, where's the Long Island wine industry when you compare it to like Napa Valley or some of the other American areas? Does it, is it anywhere near that level or am I putting you on the spot? Um, I think it's too young to say right now, you know, you're comparing them to regions mm. that are hundreds, if not thousands of years old. Like when you look at places in Europe, like we're talking like BC kind of dates that they've been making wine since. So I think <laughs> that it would be unfair um, to put them on that stage. But at the same time, you know, some of the winemakers made the point that, you know, we're never going to be able to compete with a region like South Africa, where one vineyard has 25,000 acres all by itself. 
Whereas, you know, here we have mm-hmm. like 3000 acres among everyone. So it's never going to be a competition with quantity. Right. The challenge is quality. And I think that that's what everyone is focusing on. Yeah. And you can't make that much, you know, so it's almost like the, mm. the places that are going to like, I think getting the wines into like very upscale restaurants has been a real like boost to the industry. You know, when, when some of the New York City restaurants that have very high reputations started serving Long Island wine, I think that's what started to make the difference. But again, like Michelle said, you know, because the they're not making thousands and thousands and thousands of cases every year, even like the California wines, which, which are much bigger. Um, so it's going to be a, a much more curated selective group that is going to be able to serve and get their hands on these wines. So I don't know how big you can really grow if you can only make, you know, 4,000 bottles or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of limits. Makes sense. You know, can't be like a Robert Mondavi, you know, with the big jug wine or any of that. Um, So that's what they're going to have to figure out. But it's fun though. But they're just getting started. They're just getting started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so anybody that wants to get a good taste of some Long Island wines should definitely come by the um, Express Magazine's Sips of Summer event. And this is a series that the Express News Group is doing. And the first one is on Thursday, June 22nd. It's a celebration of 50 years of Long Island wine. And it begins with a wine tasting from 1 to 4 p.m. at the American Hotel in Sag Harbor. And there's going to be a number of local um, Long Island wines featured. And we're going to have Roman Roth, who's a partner and winemaker at Wolfer Estate Vineyard, speaking about his work. And also Kareem Masood, who's uh, he's uh, going to talk about his family's vineyard. That's Pominock Vineyards in Palmer. And um, his parents started the, their vineyard not long after um, the Hargraves did, maybe within 10 years. So that's going to be from one to four. And you can come and hear uh, um, both Roman and Kareem talk about the business. And you can sign up at eventbrite.com. Um, it's pretty affordable. I think tickets are $25 and that gets you your wine tasting and seminars and the whole bit. And then there's a couple more coming up uh, later in the summer, a different focus. So you have on July 13th, the Kids Squid Brewing Company in Sag Harbor is going to have a beer tasting, and that'll be from 4.30 to 6.30. And then on July 27th, it'll be Sagaponic Distillery's turn, and they will be discussing, um, there'll be a lot of local distillers that are talking about their product, and you can taste the hard stuff as well, Joe. So if you're not so much into the wine, we can get you something a little little more kick to it. Oh, yeah. If you're interested. <laughs> okay. I'll see you there. Let's drink a glass of summer in a bottle and... Get ready for 4th of July. Raise a toast to the 50-year-old regional wine industry. And read your article in in Express Magazine. We're here. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 
27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 